I know you've all been wanking. I know you've all been anxiously waiting for it, so here it is. The summary of autism discoveries in 2016 and what they mean to families. This year we're calling it the year of the sibling. So for decades, the autism community has known that autism affects the entire family. Biological parents have been included in autism studies to examine where genetic mutations come from, but always with an eye for understanding the affected individual. This year in research saw a much bigger focus on family members of those with autism, particularly siblings. The goal of these studies is to understand the genetic and biological nature of autism so that help can be provided not just to those with an autism diagnosis, but also to family members. Many studies focused on what is known as the broader autism phenotype, previously explored in biological parents. This broader autism phenotype refers to some behavioral features of autism, including those in emotion, language, and social skills that do not quite meet the level of diagnosis for autism spectrum disorder. Rather, they've been termed everything from intermediate to a hint of autism. Joe Piven and James Harris hypothesized this year that Bruto Bettelheim may have tragically misinterpreted these features in absence of a true understanding of autism, and he called it instead refrigerator mothers. Clinicians have urged scientists to note these symptoms in a way that does not create a new diagnostic category, and, but just noting certain social personality and language characteristics in family members that have been crucial to nailing down underlying biology. So this year, four studies assessed the broader autism phenotype in siblings, and other studies went further to look at psychiatric symptoms in siblings who were not diagnosed with autism. In the past, researchers mistakenly believe that siblings showed no signs of autism. Actually, some don't show any signs of autism, but some do. In fact, adolescent, school-age, and adult siblings of those with autism show elevated autism symptoms, as well as categorical features of autism similar to those seen with autism. High-risk, and this is compared to those with no family history. High-risk infant sibling studies have shown that siblings of toddlers with autism without being diagnosed with autism have a higher rate of ASD symptoms. This is also consistent with the broader autism phenotype, with the last study indicating that the sibling symptoms are observed across the lifespan. Unfortunately, signs of the broader autism phenotype put siblings at risk for internalizing and externalizing behaviors like depression, psychological problems, and other behavioral issues. In addition to anxiety and depression, research this year showed an increased risk of psychiatric comorbidities, including ADHD and substance abuse disorders. On the other hand, siblings who were within the typical range of the social responsiveness scale didn't show elevated sensory issues. The SRS is a standardized assessment that helps measure social impairment. The goal of studying siblings with autism, again, is not to look for features with path- which is not to look at features with which pathologize them, but to help identify challenges and strengths that help them. Research published previously identifies the unique nature of sibling relationships, in that the sibling of a person with autism views their relationship positively across the lifespan, which is not always the case in typical sibling relationships. In addition to understanding siblings to help develop specialized services and supports, Learning about siblings can help, re- in addition to understanding siblings to help specialize services and supports, learning about siblings, 
Learning about siblings can help researchers understand the causes of autism and specifically why females are less likely to be diagnosed compared to males. New prevalence data from the CDC showed this year that the prevalence of autism is again at 1 in 68, perhaps showing a plateau in the rates of autism in the United States. However, the difference in rates between males and females still hovers around 4 to 1, depending on their IQ. Research this year showed that females may be able to hide symptoms because of better social abilities and because they may be protected in some way from certain symptoms. For example, studying infants at risk for autism showed that baby girls with autism showed increased attention to social stimuli compared to baby boys. This difference may affect how their this difference may affect their symptoms later on. Finally, preliminary studies this year suggest that the assessments used to diagnose autism may be slightly biased, and there is also evidence of camouflaging autism symptoms in females. There are likely to be multiple reasons behind the male sex bias in autism, but few have ever received any empirical study. This year, the Autism Sisters Project began recruiting at the Mount Sinai School of Medicine in New York. This particular study is poised to understand why females are not diagnosed as often, including differences in IQ and and underlying genetic factors. Of importance, the study is focusing on the undiagnosed sister of individuals with autism. As much as studying siblings with autism may help researchers understand sex differences, so will actually studying males and females with autism. Donna Whirling from UCSF looked at genes expressed in the brains of males and females with autism or without autism to understand sex differences in gene expression, particularly in those genes associated with autism. She found that it was not ASD risk genes that show differences, but those that are involved in neural pathways associated with autism, like microglia and the immune system. These are the ones that show sex differences. The male bias in this gene expression may be what model, the, the bias in this gene expression may be what modulates ASD risk. A male sex bias is not unusual across neurodevelopmental disorders, and so understanding its role in autism diagnosis may be informative disorders like ADHD and anxiety. Just like there are fewer females diagnosed with autism, there are fewer brains of females to study, slowing scientists' understanding of autism. To learn more about women, To learn more about how women with autism can participate, go to www.takesbrains.org. Even more new risk genes were discovered this year, or they were replicated in different cohorts. The investigations went beyond of autism versus no autism to specific features of autism with the goal of understanding what genes lead to what behavioral features of autism. For example, several studies found associations between a gene called POGZ and autism, particularly autism with an intellectual disability. POGZ is a gene that makes a protein that affects the expression of other genes. Therefore, the mutation of this gene produces a disruption in the expression of several genes rather than just one. Similar specific behavioral features are found around mutations of TRYP12 or DYRK1A, which also leads to widespread rather than specific changes in gene expression with a particular form of autism, again, autism with an intellectual disability. By further investigating individuals who have provided a lot of information to researchers, including cognitive ability and comorbid medical conditions, the causes of these features will be better understood and hopefully lead to better treatments. 
Researchers have also understand how genes seen in other disorders but cause autism are transmitted, for example, like through maternal or paternal pathways, and influence things like paternal age. These things might aid genetic counseling. Contrary to this idea, however, is the finding that individuals with a known genetic cause of autism or autism where there is known genetic cause have a considerable amount of overlap in mutations in the brain which affect how genes are turned on and off, in other words, epimutations. This is further evidence that beyond the way DNA is sequenced, factors which affect how genes are activated are important to autism causes. Epigenetic markers are known to be sensitive to environmental exposures to different types. Epigenetic markers are known to be sensitive to environmental exposures. An insight into these pathways continues to open the door to understanding gene-environment interactions in autism. We know that genetics plays a huge role in the causes of autism, but this year researchers dove even deeper and looked at the role of genetics and the environment. The environment is considered broadly anywhere between toxic chemicals to age of parent. It includes sociological, pharmacological, toxicological, and medical exposures. This year, two epidemiological studies investigated the interaction between genes and the environment, and they expanded their inquiries by looking at who carried the genetic mutation and how autism was defined. First, Studying the genotype of mothers showed that a particular mutation of the serotonin receptor gene and a high level of stress during pregnancy produced a higher risk for a child with autism than those seen without this mutation. Rather than looking at gene-environment interactions to understand autism risk, others are going beyond that to understand the symptoms within autism. For example, using the Simon Simplex collection, Scientists showed boys with autism who had genetic markers called copy number variations, together with an environmental exposure, showed the most severe autism symptoms, marked by repetitive behaviors and cognitive challenges. The study is the first to look at the type and severity of symptoms following multiple risk factors rather than just the autism diagnosis. And the idea of understanding multiple risk factors for symptoms rather than the diagnosis itself needs further study. Animal models of autism found that paternal age, a commonly accepted risk factor for not only autism spectrum disorders but schizophrenia, combined with a mutation of a gene that affects synaptic development, resulted in certain ASD symptoms in the animal model. More fine-grained analysis of autism symptoms rather than an autism diagnosis per se is needed to better understand the causes of autism. It's also important to understand environmental factors because in some cases, like those to chemical and toxicological exposure, these can be controlled through regulatory means. Many studies have linked air pollution to autism, and in many studies have linked air pollution to autism. And in early July, a landmark consensus statement authored by over 30 scientists, physicians, and public health experts was published, which called for the reduction of toxic chemical exposures to possibly reduce the risk of many developmental disorders. So far, the only established way to protect autism has been dietary folic acid supplementation. And the effects are even stronger in individuals with a particular genetic mutation. So a reduction of modifiable risk factors could be a focus of future public health research. Another potentially modifiable risk factor is maternal infection during pregnancy. Of course, not all cases of maternal infection are preventable, but some of them are. This year, a study revealed that neither having the flu nor being vaccinated against the flu during pregnancy was shown to contribute to autism risk. 
However, maternal immune response during pregnancy has been linked to specific behavioral phenotype of autism, specifically those with intellectual disabilities. According to animal models, the effects of altering the immune system early in cell formation may lead to longer-lasting elevations in immune chemicals than previously thought. This may be attributed to long-lasting changes in gene expression patterns regulated by the epigenetic mechanisms I mentioned earlier. These findings converge with other areas of research that demonstrate similar methylation patterns early in life, even without These findings converge with other research that demonstrate similar methylation patterns in individuals with autism, even without immune system challenges in early life. For years, some autism researchers have observed the presence of antibodies to brain tissue in some mothers of children with autism. This year, researchers looking at animal models discovered that the antibodies may be acting through an autism risk gene. Also, the increased risk may be particularly elevated in mothers with specific medical conditions. This is an example of a gene-environment interaction. While scientists remain cautious about translating these findings to commercialized method of determining autism risk, these studies continue to, fo- to provide insights on the neurobiology of autism and especially the immune system. What autism researchers desperately need is brain tissue. Brain tissue research will help researchers better identify causes of different types of autism so that better treatments can be developed. For example, one of the more challenging and debilitating medical comorbidities with autism is seizures and epilepsy. A study of the brains of individuals with both autism and autism and epilepsy showed an increased number of glial cells. These cells are not neurons, rather they provide support and protection to brain cells. The glial cells were highest in those The glial cell numbers were highest in those with restricted and repetitive behaviors, but interestingly enough, the number of glia go down over time in individuals with autism, but up without autism. This suggests that the glial cells contribute to autism severity and cause. Some comparisons to other disorders associated with autism were made studying amyloid B precursor protein and their metabolites. You may have heard of amyloid B precursor protein. It's been associated with Alzheimer's disease but also a host of other functions that aren't related to disease. For example, it can affect inflammation of the nervous system and normal cellular activity. In autism, however, levels of these proteins were reduced in brain and plasma, but elevated in individuals with fragile X. This suggests that these beta amyloid proteins are involved in both disorders and may be a target of interventions in the future. But brain tissue research goes beyond identifying treatment targets it also goes to help understand researchers it also goes to help researchers understand how the brains of people with autism work this year two studies demonstrate that in addition to mutations in autism risk genes mutations of areas of the genes that control the function of autism risk genes are also affected what is also interesting is that regardless of the symptoms or causes of autism the pattern of brain activity is similar in those with autism across the different types validating a much smaller study years ago. The results reinforce the importance of early intervention for the de- treatment of debilitating autism symptoms, since both genes identified, since both of the genes identified that control brain development peak in early in the first few years of life. It is very important for all families, regardless of whether they are directly affected by autism or have a family member or know someone who's affected by autism, it's important that they learn more about brain tissue donation. 
You can register for more information by going to takesbrains.org. This year, the shared features between autism and many other disorders like Phelan-McDermid, mutations of chromosome 16, DUP15, and even schizophrenia were seen. In particular, disorders don't just share autism symptoms. They share similar neurological and cognitive features as well. So how much of this is specific to autism and how much is related to behavioral, neurological, and other medical issues that are seen without an autism diagnosis? And do these genetic findings explain certain symptoms associated with autism, but not core to autism? It's been argued that classifying individuals based on specific symptom dimensions, like the presence of abnormal behaviors or the absence of other behaviors, as well as cognitive ability, may help clinicians better distinguish cross-disorders. This idea is not new, with a recent movement towards a new way of thinking towards an autism diagnosis, though. New findings from the brains of individuals with a diagnosis of autism or schizophrenia show significant overlap between the gene transcription and the brains of people with either autism or schizophrenia, but not bipolar. The authors conclude that autism and schizophrenia share many genes associated with synapse development and the formation of connections across brain regions. Therefore, these disorders may not totally be different at the biological level. Rather than thinking of autism as a whole, early signs of autism can also be linked to genetic markers, which may explain autism symptoms, but not autism as a diagnosis. This includes mutation of the oxytocin receptor on later empathy and dopamine receptors on a core feature of autism, initiating joint attention. This idea has enormous implications for autism research, as it implies a switch in the way autism is identified. This idea has enormous implications for autism research and treatment, as it implies a switch in the way autism is identified. It's been suggested that behavioral symptoms combined with biological and environmental variables should lead to different categories rather than diagnoses. This whole thing is called research domain criteria or RDOC. Autism can also be very difficult to diagnose, but this year two new studies suggested that the process can be streamlined at least a little bit. In school-age verbal children, a new instrument called the Autism Symptom Inventory was really good at detecting was really good at diagnosing autism in about 20 minutes. Another instrument, which doesn't even have a name yet, combines three short instruments. It was also promising, especially in terms of aiming... This study... This project... This was also promising, especially in terms of studies aiming to understand the causes of autism, both genetic and environmental. These studies offer hope to large-scale epidemiological studies seeking to identify and characterize individuals with autism, although right now their ability to identify different subtypes which, may be, subtypes, which may be amenable to specialized treatments, is limited. The most remarkable evidence of intervention this year, the most remarkable evidence of the effectiveness of early intervention this year, was, came from longitudinal studies. The most remarkable evidence of the effectiveness of early intervention this year came from longitudinal studies. Those that study the intervention years, those that study the effects of intervention years after it was delivered. If early intervention improves brain activity and allows for connections to be formed to alleviate autism symptoms, these effects may not be seen right away. It may take years. They can take the form of an intervention study that follows families for a long time, 
or by investigating factors early on that predicted improvement at school age and beyond. This year, we saw both. In 2010, a gold standard randomized clinical trial out of the UK looked at parent-delivered intervention focusing on communication. While they found it showed promise, it didn't produce the near-term improvements in symptom severity that they had hoped. However, this year, when they followed up on these children five years later, the training of parents to deliver the intervention resulted in a reduction of autism symptoms. These findings are important for many reasons. First, autism intervention is a journey, not necessarily a destination, and interventions delivered early on may alter the trajectory of symptoms. Second, parents can deliver interventions in a wide variety of settings in a way that's much more intensive than limited clinical time, and an intervention targeted at one set of autism symptoms like social communication may also affect others like repetitive behaviors. This does not mean that trained applied behavioral analysis therapists and intervention delivered by trained professionals should be abandoned. Parent-delivered interventions are a supplement at ages when kids spend most of their time with parents rather than at schools. Another important thing to remember about early intervention is that more data published this year showed that a percentage of children, a diagnosis is not possible at two years of age. There was a group of children who showed some autism symptoms but didn't meet criteria at two years of age, but they end up getting one by three years of age, despite being seen by well-trained, very experienced clinicians. Early intervention may help those who don't actually have a formal autism diagnosis yet. Studying infants with autism has also been instrumental in determining not only interventions. Studies, studying infants with autism has also been instrumental in determining not only interventions, but the nature of autism itself. For years, people assumed that reduced eye contact in people with autism was because they were actively averting the eyes, found eye contact aversive, and didn't want to look at the gaze of the other person. However, early on in life, this isn't the case. Infants with autism don't actively avert gaze. They just aren't that interested in looking at the eyes and don't get the same social signals from eye contact as those with autism do. Back to parent-delivered interventions. They can be used at different times, again, to supplement rather than replace other treatments delivered in clinical settings. Parent training, not a less intensive parent education, of manager, parent training of behavior management techniques, improved adaptive behavior and daily living in children with autism. However, it must be noted that these gains were mostly seen in kids with average intellectual functioning. This suggests that this suggests that not all individuals respond to parent-delivered interventions, and it shouldn't be used just in isolation. It enhances efficacy of drugs to alleviate ADHD in those with autism. Parent training may seem like an easy solution, but in the real-world setting of parents and trainers, it's incredibly complicated. And it hasn't all been about parent-mediated interventions or parent-delivered interventions. There have been also been advances in pharmacological treatments of autism, but they will always struggle with improving behavior or outcome. There have also been advances in pharmacological treatments of autism, but these studies always struggle with improving behavior or outcome not specific to core autism symptoms. Oxytocin, a naturally occurring hormone, has shown mixed results in improving different aspects of autism-related behavior like face recognition, social behavior, and empathy. 
Looking at the effects of oxytocin on the brain, it seems like it improves connectivity between areas of the brain involved with reward and those involved with perception of social communication skills. However, it's not that simple. It turns out that what makes the story more promising. It turns out that's what makes the story more promising. People with mutations of the oxytocin receptor have different types of mutations. These different types of mutations in people with autism lead to different patterns of connectivity, as well as the ability to recognize faces. Finally, these different mutations also predict the behavioral response to oxytocin. In other words, whether or not the hormone will produce improvements. These studies are the perfect illustration of how personalized medicine will improve autism treatment. Those with particular types of genetic differences will respond better to oxy treatment than others. Those with particular types of genetic differences will respond better to oxytocin treatment than others, which will speed up people receiving the right type of intervention. In addition to genetic markers predicting treatment response, advances in other biomarkers to predict treatment have also been made this year. Individuals who were more responsible. Individuals who are more responsive to pivotal response training, or PRT, showed a specific pattern of pretreatment brain activity when presented with a social situation in a video. In fact, this biomarker prior to treatment with PRT predicted behavioral response to treatment better than any baseline behavior measure. In the future, just like looking at the genetic makeup of people with autism, understanding their biological brain function before treatment can help them get the most out of the treatments that would benefit them. The whole purpose of improvements in autism diagnosis and interventions is to deliver services to individuals that need them. So, how are insurance mandates doing in terms of identifying individuals with autism and providing them with the treatments they need? This year, David Mandel at University of Pennsylvania demonstrated through data obtained through multiple insurance companies that these mandates are increasing the number of people receiving services. That's really good news. It shows that these mandates are working. However, the bad news is that the increase is not nearly as much as it should be, keeping in pace with the prevalence of autism. So he concludes, these mandates are necessary but not sufficient to provide services to all that need them. In addition, there are acknowledged gaps in what pediatricians know about non-medical treatments and services in their area, and what parents need them to understand. In summary, this year saw research that helps the understand. In summary, this year saw research that helps understand the causes of autism, including siblings, to provide better services to the entire family. It showed promise of the concept of personalized medicine everyone has heard so much about, and demonstrated the long-term, not just short-term, effects of behavioral interventions and the importance of parents as caregivers, and emphasized the need to better understand features of individuals with autism rather than just the straight diagnosis of autism. Just like last year, this will be posted on the ASF blog. This will be posted on the ASF WordPress blog. Thank you for a great 2016, and I look forward to talking to you in 2017.